if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, for those of you that have recently begun attending our church, <clears throat> would like to learn more about us, or hey, you've come enough times and you said this is it, this is where I need to get plugged in, this is uh, what I need to be a part of. We've got a very important uh, class, I almost hate to use the word class, uh, but uh, Vision Partnership is coming up this Saturday, April 9th, Saturday, April 9th at 10 a.m. Uh, right here uh, in this room, as a matter of fact, and my wife and I will have the opportunity of, of conveying the message and the purpose for which Anchor Faith Church exists, why we're here, uh, and what you get to do uh, to be a part of it. Amen? Be a part of this move of God. So uh, if that's you or if you know someone that's recently been attending that hasn't connected uh, with the vision of this church and gotten involved, uh, let them know April 9th, 10 a.m., Saturday morning, uh, right here. Uh, we've got lunch. We've got child care. Uh, we've got breakfast items. We've got it all covered. So uh, just make sure you come out, hang out with us. It's about a couple hours long, but we'll show you some videos. We'll uh, give you some information and uh, would love to connect with you. Uh, if that is you, if you wouldn't mind, please just uh, go to the back and sign up uh, at the conclusion of service. That way we know you're attending. That way we know to expect your children so we can have the proper child care for you, have the proper food items. Um, and all of that, and uh, we would love to have you join us. I am going to be uh, starting a brand new series, a brand new series uh, this month, probably go through the end of the month. Um, we do have a guest speaker coming in a couple weeks, a great friend of mine from Bible school, him and his wife from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Michael and Nicole Linden um, will be with us on the 17th, and uh, they'll be sharing that day. But um, the other services, I will be ministering on consumer or contributor, consumer or contributor. The, the culture of our world, um, if you haven't noticed, um, or maybe you're just naive, uh, but we have become very consumeristic uh, in our approach of life. We want the benefits without the investment. Uh, we want to reap a harvest of things we haven't sown. Um, the world wants to receive a reward uh, where we haven't uh, laid any groundwork ourselves. And um, that is a nature and a culture that is directly contrary to the kingdom of God. If you were with us the last month, we pretty much outlined the kingdom of God and, and, and what this whole thing is all about. Why you're here, why God brought you here. Uh, why the church exists today, we answered a lot of questions. If you weren't able to join us for any of those, I would encourage you strongly to go, go online uh, and check out the Kingdom Come series. Uh, was that an eye-opener for anybody? Did we change perspectives? Did we see the picture differently? I had my glasses on. For those of you that were here earlier, I had my glasses on today because uh, my eyes and pollen don't get along very well. And so with contact lenses, it only takes a little bit of time before um, I have to release them from my eyeballs. So uh, I have my glasses on, but I was, uh, had some lenses on to help me see the picture that's already there. And so 
uh, if we're going to truly operate in the kingdom properly, uh, we've got to learn that the kingdom is about contributors, not consumers. And uh, essentially, if we had to break this down into one word, what are you talking about, Pastor Mark? We're talking about discipleship, discipleship. And, and if I ask the question, probably most likely across the board, we could answer it all the same, that we could all be more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In some way, form or fashion, there's something that I could do to help align my life more with what I believe uh, I should be doing as a believer, as a Christian, and as a disciple in the kingdom of God. And here in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we see Jesus doing something that he did a lot. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, and announcing the good news about the kingdom. We learned over last month's series that Jesus was all about the kingdom. He was obsessed with the kingdom. It's all he talked about. It's all that he... Uh, communicated and he healed every kind of disease and illness so he didn't just talk about it he showed it in demonstration it wasn't just something that he talked about it was what he lived and it's what he applied to his life he healed all kinds of uh, disease and illness when he saw the crowds this is interesting he's just taught about the kingdom and he's just healed all kinds of of illnesses and sickness and diseases and it says this he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. After all the teaching, after all the miracles, after all the signs and wonders, after all the healings and manifestations and power of God in operation, he looks upon them and he says, I've got compassion because they're lost like sheep without a shepherd. They're helpless. I'm going to tell you today that all the miracles and all the signs and all the wonders and all the teaching that we could have in our churches and in our generation and in our cultures of Christianity is not going to help those who are lost and helpless unless we get laborers in the field. He goes on to say in verse 37, he said to his, what's that word? Disciples. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. But the workers are few. You ought to underline that word, workers. Circle it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. Put a stars around it. Workers. The workers are few. The harvest is there. But I don't have anybody to tend the field, work the field to draw the harvest. We're not just talking about signs and wonders anymore. We're not just talking about demonstrations of the Spirit. We're not just talking about people that can talk in tongues and holy rollers. And we're not talking about people that can scream at the top of their lungs during worship service. We're talking about workers. Uh, the New King James says laborers. The laborers are few. Verse 38. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. And ask him to send more signs and wonders. And ask him to send more tongue talkers. And ask him to send more teachings and more revelations of the Spirit. No, he says, ask that he send more workers into his field. Into his fields. We've got to be careful in church that we're not coming to church to get something. 
but rather to give something. This is the difference between a consumer and a contributor. A contributor makes an investment. A contributor puts something in. Before he puts input, he puts something in. A lot of people want to come in and say, you ought to do it this way, you ought to do it that way, but they have no investment. And and let me just give you a word for your life personally. Don't allow people to give input into your life that have not made an investment in your life. Can I get an amen? You don't let people just come in and say, give their two cents until they've given the 2,000 and the 2 million. If there's no investment, then I don't need your input. Amen. Facebook is not an area where you get to just input into my life because you have shown no investment. You haven't walked through the dark days with me. You weren't there when my husband and my wife left me. You weren't there when the kids uh, were gone. You weren't there when the job failed me. But you want to give me your two cents. No, your input demands investment. Amen. And so Jesus is saying you've got to ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the field. And then continuing on into Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. We learned about the authority and the power that we have in the kingdom of God. As a disciple, as a believer, there's power and authority that follows you everywhere you go. Verse 2, and here are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus. We continue on, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I find it interesting That Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Bible tells us that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus operated in all five gifts of the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, teacher, uh, evangelist. Uh, uh, he, He operated in every gift. He had the Spirit without measure. He is the Son of God. He is deity in the flesh. But I find that even Jesus needed disciples. What I find even more interesting is if you get to know these 12 guys a little bit, you find out that they were a pretty messed up bunch. Uh, That as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are asking yourself the question, um, Jesus, you actually probably could have done a better job by yourself. Uh, you've You've got a guy that throws fits and tempers of rage and uh, you know, uh, you know, is, you know, very whimsical and, and just, hey, I'll jump out the boat. Hey, I'll chop the guy's ear off. Hey, you don't need to go to the cross. Uh, you've got brothers that are fighting with each other, trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And on top of that, one of the one of your disciples is actually the very guy that betrayed you <laughs> and sold you out to your enemies. Why do we need disciples? I found this a funny article on the internet um, that was almost like a a, a management consultant firm um, that Jesus might have approached back in the day looking for 12 guys to come alongside him. And he gave to them recommendations, wanted to look into them. And it reads like this. 
Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas, uh, Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We, re- we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man, all of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Gives you just a little insight into the 12 men, the 12 disciples that Jesus handpicked, might I add, handpicked, found these individuals and said, come, follow me. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? That you don't have to qualify to be in the kingdom of God. The qualification is to believe and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You're in the kingdom of God. Amen. This is what is necessary to come into the kingdom. But we all come into the kingdom one way. Every single one of us. You come into the kingdom the same way you came into this world, as a baby. As a baby. And babies, I haven't met one yet that uh, is a contributor in life. No, they're consumers. They come in needing attention, needing help. Can I have any new parents agree with me? Amen. Amateur beckoning call. They need help with everything. They need help being changed. They need help uh, talking. They need help being fed. They need help uh, uh, not putting stuff into electrical sockets. They, 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 They are consumers by nature. And when you come into the kingdom, you come into the kingdom as a consumer. But there ought to be a process. There ought to be a process that moves us from consumer 
to contribute her. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. He's choosing the disciples. Here he's talking to four individuals that are out fishing uh, for fish. And he says, I'm going to take what you know about fishing for fish, and I'm going to translate that into finding disciples, finding people to be followers of me. Come, follow me. Everyone say come. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, same group of men, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Everyone say go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 goes on to say, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Recognize that to the sinner, Jesus said, come, but to the disciple, Jesus says, go. To the sinner, Jesus says, come, but to the disciple, Jesus says, go. Apparently, there's a process that needs to take place where we move from consumer to contributor. I come in needing something, but I end up giving something. And this is what we've got to understand about discipleship. This is what we've got to understand about being truly devoted followers of Jesus, that we're not here just to get something. Yes, yes, you will get something. Yes, you will receive something. He says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I'm there with you. I'm there for you, but I need you. Why did Jesus need 12 messed up individuals, some uh, that abandoned him, some that left him alone, some that betrayed him, some that denied him, uh, all of them deserted him when he needed them most? But it's because Jesus had a bigger picture in mind. He had the kingdom mentality. He had the kingdom mission and the kingdom vision in mind. He said, I need somebody to carry on what I have come to do. I won't be here for forever. I won't be on this earth doing this forever. I need someone to carry on the mission and the purpose for which I came. To the sinner, Jesus said, come. To the disciple, Jesus says, go. In Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we see an individual in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, you know, initially Jesus called these 12 men, but after a while, uh, Jesus' fame um, and popularity began to grow uh, throughout the regions, throughout uh, all of Judea, Samaria, throughout all the parts, and, and, and people started flocking to see Jesus do what he did. They wanted to see the miracles, they wanted to see the signs. They wanted to see the wonders. They wanted to see the healings and the demonstrations. They were moved by the teachings and the preaching 
uh, that he came with, the authority and the power that he spoke with. They saw demons cast out. They saw lame men walking. They saw uh, deaf ears open, blind eyes open. Uh, They saw fig trees withered. They saw a man walk on the water. They knew and heard about the power of this man. And eventually uh, his popularity began to grow and people wanted to follow him and stay with him and, and hang out with him. And so Jesus initially calls 12 people, but uh, you'll read throughout passages that people come and say, Lord, what, what can I do to follow you? What must I do to, to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? Lord, I want to come follow you. But first, let me go bury the dead and, and, and all these different responses. But here in this passage, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we see a man who all we know is the rich, young Ruler, the rich, young ruler. Now, I mean, you think about that title real quick. Rich, young ruler. It sounds to me like you've got everything. You've got life figured out. I mean, that's better than an old, poor servant. Rich, young And has power and authority. But he comes to Jesus recognizing that there's something I'm missing. And in verse 17 it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. He's trying to determine, how well do you know my father? You call me good, but the only reason I'm good is because of my father. And if you're trying to determine determine that I'm good based upon your standards rather than his standards, then you, you don't even know what good is. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher... All these things I have kept, everyone say kept, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. Everybody's got that one thing. Everybody's got one thing. One thing you lack, you may be rich, you may be young, you may be a ruler, but one thing you lack, go your way, way, sell whatever you have and give, everyone say give, to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He says you've got treasure, but it's, it's somewhere else and where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Also, uh, Jesus is not asking him for his money. He's asking him for his life. Jesus is not asking him for his money. He's asking him for his life. He's not asking him for his money. He's asking him for his obedience. He's not asking him for his money. He's asking him for his willingness to follow him. He says, let's find out where your treasure is. One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, same word he gave to the disciples, come, take up the cross and follow me. Follow me. That's what this whole series is about, following Jesus. But he was sad at this word, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Of all the commandments that he said he's kept from his youth, he forgot the first one. Have no other gods before me. Discipleship doesn't work if Jesus isn't first. Discipleship doesn't work if Jesus isn't first. Now, where did this young man go wrong? He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. He's kept all the commandments. I mean, most pastors would see this guy and say, man, come on. Welcome. Glad to have you. We love it. We love to have you. But Jesus found the one thing. God has a funny way of finding the one thing. If it's not money, it's character. If it's not character, it's love. If it's not love, it's honor. If it, he, he knows how to find the one thing that we need to bring into, our align, uh, into alignment in our lives to be truly devoted followers of Jesus. The young man answered and he said, all of these things I have kept. All of these things I have kept. And so Jesus says, okay, let's find out what you're willing to give. You're good at keeping. But I wonder if you're just as good at giving. Because, see, when you come in the kingdom for what you can get, you're missing out on what you can give. See, this young man wanted to follow Jesus for what he could get. What can I get out of following Jesus? What's the reward? How do I get eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? But following Jesus is about what you can give, not what you can get. Following Jesus is more about what you can give rather than what you can get. And so this young man has a wake-up call. This young man recognizes that I, I, I'm not willing to give up something. Jesus isn't saying that you have to be poor to follow him. In fact, this man would have found out that he would have had every need met because Jesus said just several chapters before that if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all the things that are necessary to sustain your life will come find you. You've been doing all the searching in your life, but you'll find out that all these things will come hunt you down if you'll come follow me. If you'll put me first, if you'll make me the top priority in your life. That even the riches that you have won't be enough because I've got such a great vision for your life. You'll find out that you'll have way more than you ever needed. If you will, come and follow me. But it requires you to lay something down. How far you want to go is determined by how much you're willing to give. How far you want to go is determined by 
how much you're willing to give. How much are you willing to lay down? How much are you willing to give up? How much are you willing to put aside? How much are you willing to invest in? Because the further your investment, the further your growth. The, 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 the further you invest in the kingdom of God, the more you grow in the kingdom of God. The more that you will gain in the kingdom of God. Anybody that understands investment, anybody that understands giving, anybody that understands contributing knows that there's a reward on the other side. There's no investor, no investor that just uh, uh, randomly throws out seed and doesn't. I don't care if you're a farmer. I don't care if you invest financially. I don't care if you invest in children. I don't care if you invest uh, uh, in, in people, uh, invest in leadership, invest in job. You expect something in return. You're not a very good investor if you don't expect a return on your investment. And he's identifying here that as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to come into the kingdom, you're going to have to come in for what you can give more than what you can get. Because what you can give determines how far you're willing to go. See, there, there is nothing you reap from in life without investment. There's nothing you reap from. See, that's why we have vision partnership. Because sure, you could just come in here and you could sit and just hear the word. But until you invest, until you lock arms with us and say, I'm willing to stand arm to arm with you and fight the battle. Because you can't fight with people that sit. We're, we're in a fight for our lives. Have you watched the news recently? Do you know what's going on in our nation and around? We are in a fight for our lives, and the church cannot fight sitting down. The church cannot fight locked in its four walls. We've got to get out, and we've got to contribute, and we've got to invest. And so we need people that are going to lock arms and say, I'll connect with you. I want to know your vision. I want to know your passion. I want to know your purpose. How do you want to reach Valdosta? How do you want to reach Lowndes County? All of you reach people that I never get to see. See, lost people know lost people. The problem is a lot of saved people don't know a lot of lost people anymore. Sir, they're right there. They're in the next cubicle over. And we will give them not one word, but we'll talk on the phone with our Christian friends all day long. All week long. What are we contributing in the lost and dying world that is around us? And it's disciples that change the shape and the future of our world. It was disciples in Acts chapter 4 where it was stated these men turned the world upside down. Twelve men that, were, that didn't have any knowledge, didn't have educational background, weren't even living for God. I mean, in essence, Jesus went out and found people that had nothing to lose and, and just said, I'm willing to put it all in. I, where, where's my life going from here? I'm a tax collector. Everybody hates me anyways. If I'm going to be a radical, I might as, be a, might as well be a radical for some guy talking all this kingdom stuff. What do you think compelled these individuals to drop everything they had and walk with Jesus? 
for three and a half years and looked stupid and sounds stupid because Jesus grew in fame and popularity. But there's one point in John chapter 8 where everybody started to abandon him and leave him. And he turned to the 12 and he said, you guys going too? And Peter responded and said, nope. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. He didn't stay with Jesus because we're best buddies. He didn't stay with Jesus because, well, I've put this much in. I might as well go a little further. He stayed with him because you have the words that have changed my life, and I want to spread that word and change other people's lives. And that's the man in Acts chapter 2 that boldly stood up, and 3,000 people came into the kingdom in one day. A disciple. Why? Because he's willing to invest. He's willing to put something in. Now, sure, Peter was a little messed up. Sure, Peter got in Jesus' face in, in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus is given the whole, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, they're going to hand me over to the enemy, uh, but I'm going to rise again in three days. And Peter gets in Jesus' face, best friend and all, and says, hey, may it never be, man. I'll make sure this never happens. And Jesus has to look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. But then Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot approaches Jesus. Gives him a kiss on the cheek to identify to the enemy, this is the man you're looking for. And Jesus says, Jesus calls him a friend. Now, why would he call Peter, who's only looking out for his best interest now, and, and call him Satan. But then look at Judas Iscariot, who's handing him over to the very men that are wanting to take his life and call him a friend. Because one of them moved his purpose forward, the other one was prohibiting his purpose. I wonder who in our lives we think care about us and empathize and sympathize with us, but really they're keeping us from moving forward. And who are the ones that are willing to get in your face and say, you need to straighten this up. You, and, and you feel like they're the enemy, but they're the ones that are really trying to help you achieve and accomplish all that God has for your life. So what does a true disciple look like? What is a true follower of Jesus look like. The first thing we've got to identify is there's something we've got to lay down. There's something we've got to give up. There's something we've got to deny. In Matthew chapter 16, I don't have the verse in there, but in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says, unless you deny yourself of your selfish nature, your selfish desires, take up your cross and follow me. You can't be my disciple." He gives some very hard words that we'll look at throughout this series of what it takes to be a disciple. Jesus turned people down. You would think that Jesus would just be looking for anybody and everybody to come on board. I mean, he's, he's God. I mean, he loves people. People come to him and say, uh, Lord, you know, I, I want to come follow you, but I just need to go bury my, 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 my father. Let the dead bury the dead, man. You come follow me. What kind of response is that? I mean, you know, that. That's not what you want to hear. Lord, I'm going to come follow you. I'm going to give my life for you. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But I don't have anywhere to lay my head. 
are you talking me out of being your disciple? You don't want me on board? You know, something not jiving here? What's the problem? But find out that being a disciple of Jesus is a lot different than just saying a prayer. It's a lot different than just going to church. It's a lot different than just being in the Word. It's a lot different than just praying and having your religious lifestyles. There is a contribution. There is a laying down. There is an investment that will take place. How do we get from consumer to contributor? I mentioned that when we all come into the kingdom of God, we come in as babies, consumers. Uh, The Bible in the book of Acts called these individuals that came into the kingdom believers. Use the term believers. Do I have any believers in the room this morning? Amen. But but we see that there is a necessary track to get from believer to disciple. There's a difference. There's a difference. And I'm going to read you eight things. And if these bear witness with your spirit, if these check yourself, I'll be honest with you, when I first saw these eight things and first read these eight things, there was some alignment going on in my life saying, wow, I'm going to have to check myself there. I might be more of a believer than a disciple than I thought. And this is to open our eyes. This is to help us understand. This is to help us define. A disciple means a learner or a pupil, a student. It's one who follows the teaching and the teacher. That's a disciple. So I just want to read you these things. So we can honestly and properly identify what discipleship is. Number one, a believer believes in Jesus as Savior, but lives to please themselves. A disciple believes in Jesus as Lord and lives to please God. There's a difference between Savior and Lord. If Jesus is just your Savior, then he just came to get you out of something. But a Lord, the word Lord literally means owner. That means everything I have belongs to you now. Everything I am belongs to you. You rule my life. You are now the Lord. And the Bible tells us, Romans tells us, Romans 10 tells us, confess Jesus as Lord, not as Savior. So have we moved beyond Savior? Have we moved beyond someone that just died on the cross and saved us from our sins? Or like we learned last week, that Jesus didn't come to save you from something. He came to save you for something. That we're just getting started. It is finished, but it isn't over. We're just getting started. We're just moving into what salvation has bought for us. So a believer, or you could interchange the word believer for consumer, believes in Jesus as Savior but lives to please themselves. A disciple or a contributor believes in Jesus as Lord and lives to please God. Number two, a believer goes to church to hear the word of God. A disciple goes to church to do what God's word says. A believer goes to church to hear the word. But if 
hearing in here never turns into applying out there, we're, we're missing. We're missing it somewhere. This doesn't mean that we're perfect. doesn't mean that you're going to get it all right, but it means that you're striving for something different. It means you're striving for a different lifestyle. It means you're striving to be somebody different than the enemy and the world left you. He brought you out of darkness into light. So we should be reflecting light, not darkness. So we're not here to just hear a good word, just a little feel-good message and, and tickle your senses, as Paul says, and let you walk out of here feeling like you got something. He says, no, the one that hears the word and doesn't do it, you're deceived. You're deceived because you think you got something, but you didn't. You think because you went to church and you drove all the, all the way here and, and, and made the sacrifice to get here this morning and, and got the kids out of bed and, and strangled them, you know, halfway here and yelled at them all the way in the car and got them signed in and dropped them off and said, get out of my face so I can go to church and be alone for a minute and hear the word. You think because you, because you did all that, we got something. But it's until we get out there and apply what we hear, do what we learn, we're not disciples. Believers, but not disciples. Number three, a believer exalts personal opinion, feelings, and thoughts above the word of God. A disciple exalts the word above opinions, feelings, and thoughts. It's amazing. It's amazing how much we think That the word aligns to our lives rather than we align our lives to the word. It's amazing that you, you have to be intentional about it. You have to literally sit down and say, now, wait a minute. Am I just believing that because that's what I was always taught? That's what grandma said. That's what my parents said. That's what pastor so-and-so said. Or am I believing that because that's what the Bible said? And the disciple is willing to go to church and hear a word that is absolutely contrary from anything they've ever heard, but see it in the scripture and say, that's first place. I love so-and-so. I'm thankful for so-and-so. I honor the gift on so-and-so, but that's what the Bible says. You've got to be like the Bereans. They heard the word. Now, they heard the word with receptivity. That doesn't mean come into church and doubt and second guess everything you hear. That means you are open to it, but then you go home and then you study it out. So I know it for myself because you standing before Jesus saying, Pastor Mark said it, that ain't going to work. It won't work. So a disciple exalts the word above opinions, feelings, Thoughts, you know, I, I, I read through on social media, you know, every now and then when, you know, you see political debates or religious debates or whatever. And it's a, it doesn't take but maybe two or three comments in to recognize that people are really just stuck to personal opinion. They have no idea what the Bible says. They have no clue. No clue. Our governor just recently vetoed a bill this past week that would have protected churches 
from discriminating against homosexuals and homosexual activity. He vetoed it, so I'm no longer protected, whatever, whatever that means. That's the world we live in. But, you know, you, you read the comments that people have to say about it when they, you know, throw the little news thing on there. And it's amazing. People have no idea what the Bible says. Even the ones that are arguing for the Bible, they have no clue. It's kind of like these funny videos that you see, you know, uh, of people going on the streets asking uh, Trump supporters and Sanders supporters and Cruz supporters, you know, why are you following so-and-so? Why are you What's his policy on such and such? We just regurgitate what we hear. We never actually go in and find anything out for ourselves anymore. It's amazing with all the information that we have at our disposal, at our fingertips. And it's like we're dumber today than we've ever been in our lives. We're more ignorant today than we've ever been in our lives. We, we, we know less today than our forefathers knew. And we've got more. I mean, Paul, if Paul, who wrote this book, had the technology and the advances, if he had the version Bible app, he didn't even have a Bible. They're writing it. He's literally living it out. He's literally writing it from a prison cell. And we can't be in it every day. He went through all the trouble and all the work to write it and stand for it, was beaten, killed, thrown out of cities, and then we can't even take 15 minutes a day to read the verse of the day. Discipleship. Discipleship. Are we consuming or are we contributing to the effort of the kingdom of God? A believer is accountable to no one. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't know me. There's a difference between a judge and a cop. The cop ain't judging you. The cop pulled you over because you are disobeying the law. The judge is the one that you'll stand before and he'll say, now I sentence you to such and such. Judge sentences. I don't sentence anybody. I just tell you what the word says. And you're either doing the word or you're not doing the word. You're either living according to the word or you're not living according to the word. I've had couples approach us that want to get married. That are living together and sleeping together and admittedly so, fornicating. And ask us to marry them. Not happening. It's the same reason why I won't marry a homosexual couple. You're living in sin. It's sin. It's the same reason. Because you aren't accountable to anyone. We want church and the word to wrap around my life. Well, God understands. He understands his word. Now, we're not being legalistic. We're not being judgmental. What kind of marriage do you think you're going to have starting off that way? I mean, probably some of us in the room started off in a bad way, and we know that we're still paying some of that price. I mean, if we want to do it the best way, why don't we just do it the best way possible? 
Why don't we just say, you know what, I want to honor. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm waiting for the man. And we've had, we've had examples. We've had examples of couples that have approached that came to us. Did, we did not approach them. They came to us and said, we're living in sin. We're scheduled to get married, but we got to get this thing right. So either we're moving out or we'll get married right now on the spot and then we'll celebrate on the wedding day. We've had it happen. Why? Because there's a righteousness on the inside that says, I got to get it right. I can't live a life that's not accountable to anyone. I can't live a life that just goes out saying, don't judge me. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. No, a believer uh, is not accountable to anyone, but a disciple is accountable to everyone. They recognize that my life is not about me anymore. My life is about who I'm influencing and affecting around me. And I want to live the best life possible. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I won't mess up. But it means that I'm striving for perfection. The first question that I have for those couples is, are you willing to take one of two steps? Are you willing to either move out until the wedding day or are you willing to get married today? We go down, get the marriage certificate, get this thing done right, and then we just celebrate on that day. Let's at least get righteous. Do you know that you're, the person you're marrying wants you to be that person to step up and say, that's it, babe. This is it. We're done. We're not doing anything until we get this thing right. That's a real man. That's a real man. So what are we doing to get it right? So it's the same question that I would ask any homosexual couple. Are you trying to not be a homosexual? Are we striving to not live in sin? Are we striving to not walk down this path? It's not about having it all together. It's about recognizing where I'm wrong and getting in alignment with the word of God. Where's the level of accountability? Where's the level of accountability? This is discipleship. A believer... A consumer serves God based on convenience. A disciple serves God based on conviction. It doesn't have to make me comfortable. In fact, I'll recognize, you know, he uses the term, you know, Jesus isn't trying to to butter this thing up. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He says, take up your cross. Back in those days, Take up your cross is not popular term. I mean, you're basically saying, I'm willing to die for this cause. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Serving God isn't, isn't something of compromise. It is something of conviction. It's something that says, I'm willing to let go of some things so I can walk out the plan and purpose that God has for me. A believer, a consumer, thinks money and possessions belong to them and they control them. A contributor, a disciple, knows money and possessions belong to God and he controls them. Yeah, that's a disciple. If you still think that it belongs to you and you get to control it and if you want to give uh, uh, this week, or if I don't, or if I want to let go of this thing, or I don't, you know, that's up to me. I'm, I'll, you know, if I choose to be, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Yeah, you are blessed to be a blessing. And everything you own has been given to, given to you by the one you can't even see. And when he makes a demand on it, you let it go. You can't give the tithe. 
You can't give 10% back to God. You can only return it. Because you can't give something that never belonged to you in the first place. The 10% says, Bible tells us, he's already marked it off. When, that, when you got that check, he said, 10%, that belongs to me. He's just wanting to know if you're willing to make him Lord of your life and actually return it back to him. And I tell you right now that God can help you do much better with 90% than you can do with 100. I'll just go ahead and let you know. And he can do way more with your 10% than, he can, than you can with 110%. I've done it. I've held it back because I needed it. And I ended up with less. Than I, I wished I would have just let it go. Now, God, I wish I would have just gone ahead and put it in your hands and seen at least what you could do with it because I'm garbage with it. This is, this is discipleship. We consumers or contributors. A consumer, a believer seeks the benefits of God. The disciple will seek the will of God. Now I take that a step further. Seeks God. Taught a series several years ago on the will of God. Everyone wants to know the will of God. God, show me your will. God, show me your will. We want to know the will of God at the expense of knowing God. God, I just want to know what you have for me. I just, I don't want to know you. I know my wife's will because I know hers. I got to know her, and therefore I learned her will by getting to know her. If you want to know God's will for your life, get to know God. And the will will be the byproduct. It comes alongside getting to know God for yourself. Last one. Last punch in the face for the day. A believer... A believer chooses the path of life that seeks to go higher. A disciple chooses the path of life that seeks to go lower. Jesus was asked one time, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Chase, if you come up, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The greatest is first the greatest servant. Jesus came as a king. Jesus could have easily demanded that people bow down and worship him, serve him. But he made the statement. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It's impossible, impossible to be a disciple with a consumeristic approach. It's directly contrary to the kingdom of God. And I just want to take a moment, because I know that this can be a hard pill to swallow. Like I said, when I first read them, there were a few of these that was like, man, God help me. God help me. I, I want to be the, the, the greatest asset to the kingdom of God as I possibly can. There's a mission. There's a purpose. There's a, there's a vision. There's a kingdom on the rise. And I know that God blesses, I know that God heals, I know that God touches, I know that God restores and God redeems, but there is an investment that must take place. And I don't care if you've known Jesus for a day, I don't care if you've known Jesus for 80 years. At any point in our lives, we've got to check our discipleship 
Am I truly devoted to the plan and the purpose that God has for me? Am I willing to look beyond myself? Am I willing to look at what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? I know it sounds selfish, but when I see new people walk through that door, the first thing I ask myself on the inside is, what do they bring to the kingdom? What child are they going to touch? What, what, what marriage are they going to help restore? What, what life are they going to help heal by a smile and a handshake? That's why we want to get you serving. That's why we want to get you involved. I know that there are several people that in the last several weeks and even today are going through orientations for different areas to serve in this church because what you have, somebody else needs. Somebody else needs your love. Somebody else needs your care. Well, I need it. Yeah, we all do. There's Sunday mornings I come in here and I'm thinking, I need to sit down on the front row. I need somebody to preach to me. But then I get up here and I give by the anointing and by the grace of God. Half the time I'm ready to hand off the microphone to one of you guys. And, you know, I'm wondering, you know, why am I even up here? I need to receive more than I have anything to give. And by the time I'm done giving, I found out that everything I needed was in my investment. I find out, I don't know how many times we've been told by children's workers that I came in here tired, I came in here weak, I came in here weary. I didn't feel like I had anything to give, but I sat down with those kids and they just blessed my life. I've got more to give. You know, the, the, the world is getting so busy. It's getting so busy. I read an article a few weeks ago that it was, it was like six words that we use way more often than we ought to. And two of them were busy and tired. Every time you talk to somebody, I'm tired. Tired of what? Why are we always tired? Why are we always busy? I'm going to tell you right now, it's not slowing down. Everything's vying for your attention. Everything wants a piece of you. Because when you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. I'm in this season of my life right now that I'm having to be careful what I say yes to. Because every time I say yes to something, it means i got to say no. If I say yes to that, I have to give less to this. But I'm going to tell you, there are just some non-negotiables in my life that I am not willing to give less to. And church and the kingdom is one of those. I don't apologize for making a demand. We don't, make, we don't apologize for making a demand. I tell our leadership team, y'all, we work them like dogs, man. Some of them haven't even sat in service in probably six weeks. And we get to come in here and sit almost every single week and, and hear the encouraging. They have to go home and catch it online, hopefully. And when do you find time to do that? This is the time that you've carved out to receive the word. Now they have to take another time when they're cleaning the house or sitting down and doing this to try to hear the message that you're getting to sit and receive. I've got leadership uh, uh, individuals that haven't sat in a seat in six weeks. And I don't apologize for it. I say, you're here to help us grow this church. This is hard work. Planning a church is hard work. Changing the world is hard work. And it's disciples. It's disciples that accomplish 
the word and the will of God. It's contributors. It's those that come in and say, what, what, what can I give? What can I do? I don't have much. I, I, I don't have a lot to offer, but what can I put in the pot? What, what can I give? What can I give financially? What can I give of my time? How can I bring some resource? You need this? I got it. You need that? I got it. You need, you need some of this? We've got, it, it takes contributors. Jesus had to find 12 men that were willing to walk away from jobs, careers, homes, families, wives, children to follow him. I'm telling you right now, when we get to the book of Acts, it was worth every bit of investment that they put in. Twelve men, eleven men, that turned the world upside down. I wonder what could happen to our world. I wonder what could happen to our city. I wonder what could happen to our communities if we decided to lay it all down. Give it all up. Don't come in like the rich young ruler. How can I get this and how can I keep that? But how can I give this and how can I share that? The most happy people that I know are the most generous people. I've just recognized this in life. Stingy people are always angry. You're keeping, but yet you never have enough. But generous people seem to always have enough. It's just weird to me. Isn't that a weird principle? The world teaches you to keep and to save. And it's not producing any happier people. But yet the kingdom teaches you to give away and to share. And you end up happier than ever. Some of you would be happier if you gave somebody something that you have. You'd be happier if you bought somebody lunch instead of going to lunch and wondering who's going to buy you lunch. You'd be happier if you were uh, wondering how can I help this person or help that person rather than who's going to help me today. It's, It's a natural tendency of the world, culture, and nature that we live in to want to keep and want to get. But I'm going to tell you right now, the kingdom is built around people that will give and share. And that's where true purpose is defined. Father, we thank you this morning that you have instilled, you've placed, you've you've blessed us with so much. Father, forgive us for coming in with a consumeristic attitude. How can I get How can I keep? How can I have? How are my wants met? How are my needs met? But Father, we ask you to help us change our thinking, change our mentality, change our mindset, that we can be contributors in the kingdom of God. See people's lives changed around us. It may be family members we've complained about. It may be co-workers we've complained about. It may be bosses and employees that we hate. But yet they're the very ones that you've called us to affect and influence for the kingdom of God. Father, open our eyes through this series. Open our hearts. Open our minds. That we can truly understand what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. We're not in here to see what we can get. We're in here to see what we can give. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.